Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 233. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Yo, what's going on, all you unstoppable restaurant professionals? Eric Cacciatore here, and this is the podcast for personal growth in the restaurant industry. Now, we do it by taking the advice of some of the most successful restaurant professionals out there. So, uh, no sponsorship ads running today. Uh, today, it's going to be a self-promoting sponsorship. I just want to let you guys know that every Monday, starting this week, today, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be hosting a Blab, which is essentially a, a roundtable four open lines for you to come join me and a past guest and ask them all the questions you have. So uh, it's just meant to be coffee, casual uh, discussion, conversation around what challenges you in the restaurant industry. And like I said, you can call in, you can join the call and ask your questions. So again, that's every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Join us at Blab, uh, just check my social platforms. I'll be sharing the links for you to join us, but it's a lot of fun. I've done two actually already, and they've both been great. So uh, join the conversation. Let's get that going. All you need to join is a Twitter account. That easy. All right. Hope to see you next week at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Enjoy today's show. Here it is. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Eric Goodwin. Eric, please tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. Absolutely, every day. <laughs> yes, so Eric Goodwin is the founder and president of Goodwin Hospitality, which is a leading expert in hospitality industry and offers management, recruiting, professional mystery shopping, innovative guest surveys and feedback programs, as well as a support in recruiting and exit interviews. In addition, Eric owns and operates both the Friendly Toast and Brazo, located in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. In 2014, Eric was named Restaurant Tour of the Year by the New Hampshire Lodging and Restaurant Association, and his restaurant, Brazo, was voted the best cool night spot Reader's Choice by New Hampshire's Magazine. Eric, this is just a huge aerial view of who you are, what you've accomplished. I can't wait to learn more. But before we do, let's get that inspirational, motivational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Okay, my mantra with my team and business family is always, you are the creator of your success. Mm. Uh, we, don't point, we don't point figures. We don't make excuses. Everyone owns their successes, their failures. And that's the mantra that we keep every day. Oh, man, I love it. There's so much truth to that. And uh, I mean, just dive deeper into that and how that's, you know, echoed in your life and your success. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people out there, Eric, who uh, tend to blame either their boss or their team environment or their company or the economy or friends or, you know, whatever the case may be. I think there's a lot of that going on out there. And I don't think uh, those who are really successful don't really believe in that. They don't allow other... Uh, peripheral things to bring them down or sort of get in their way. So the real doers in life, the folks that are uh, high achievers, tend to really own all of their, their successes and their failures yes. and don't allow other things to bring them down. So we sort of have that mantra you know, in our, our manual. It's sort of a part of an orientation, part of our everyday life. It's written in our, 
around our offices and things along those lines, that you and only you are the creator of your success. So it's something that we live by every day. And, and when you sort of take all the other stuff out of it and just focus on that, uh, I think it really uh, helps with a very positive culture. Oh, absolutely. And, and not be a great company uh, and, and still not have success, or you can be with a really lousy company and have a lot of success with that sort of approach to life. So it really doesn't matter what paradigm you're in. If you sort of own it every day, then you're going to be in a good spot. It's so true. And I think sometimes people just show up to work and they expect things to happen just for simply showing up. But the truth is you got to show up and be willing to take it to the next level every day. And if things aren't going right in your life, if things aren't getting to the next level, turn the, you know, turn the mirror on yourself, look in the mirror and ask yourself if you're showing up every day, if you're bringing it every day. And the thing I love about the successful people in this industry, Eric, is that they're not necessarily the smartest. They're not necessarily the most charismatic, but they're the people that just show up every day to put the work in and their success is a result of just that continuous you know, ability to show up, to surround themselves with similarly passionate people. And uh, anybody can be successful in this industry if you have that work ethic. So awesome I, stuff. I, couldn't agree more. And I just spoke at UNH uh, this past weekend. And you know, my background is not based on being the smartest. I was a terrible high school student, <laughs> terrible college, terrible college student. And uh, but the one thing that I've always done is that I bring it every day. You know, I bring tenacity. I don't quit. You can knock me down a hundred times when we're getting back yes. up. That sort of thing. And I think that's you know miss, missing a lot. And um, you know, out there. And so I think good companies are really looking for people who. Uh, you know, bring that energy and bring positivity and sort of a solutions based let's solve problems together yeah. kind of attitude. So I agree with that 100%. And you also said uh, during your explanation that uh, successful people own their successes. They also own their failures too. And I, I feel like I can't wait to get, to get your failure, but that's so huge that owning the failure, successful people don't, when they, you know, when they fall down, when they make a mistake, they don't point the finger at outside reasons. They, they own those failures. They learn from those failures and they move on, which is another uh, huge lesson I've learned from these incredible interviews. So um, let's learn more about you, Eric. What's, what's your backstory? Like, tell us, you know, shine a light on the path that you took to get to where you are today. Okay, uh, sure. Well, my background was I, I was raised in the restaurant industry. My dad owned his own restaurant. And for me to spend time with my dad, I had to spend time with him in the restaurant. He wasn't mm-hmm. home. So I you know, learned my way through the kitchen, started as a dishwasher, all the line cook positions and, and that sort of thing. And that, well, that was sort of my youth. Mm-hmm. And when I went to Plymouth State College, uh, I started working part-time at the Common Man Family of Restaurants or the mm-hmm. Common Man in Ashland. And Alex and I, who's the owner and still we work together once a week probably, uh, we uh, connected well. I had some good success there. And I became the general manager there when I left school, you know, at age 22, which was which was great. But for me, the real story was after I uh, left the Common Man and went to Chili's, I became a regional director at Chili's. I kind of worked my way up the ranks there. I was uh, working and engaged with recruiters across the country who were helping staff my 15 restaurants that I was responsible for. And in that process, you know, I'm jumping timelines pretty quick here, but you know, my wife and I started a family, we had two kids, and we, you know, were super clear, she came from a hospitality family as well, that we wanted to make sure that we had balance in our life, and that we were present in our kids' lives, and I didn't want to sort of repeat, you know, my dad's, sorry, mm-hmm. my mom and dad were divorced, I don't want anyone to break out a violin here for me, but uh, <laughs> at, at the end of the day, uh, I, I realized both personally that I did not want to do the, you know, I'm maniacal at work, so. I did not want to do the 80 hours a week and miss all the, you know, sports and coaching and mm-hmm. chaperoning and, you know, making lunches for my kids and all those sorts of things. 
So, and then I, that coalesced Eric with uh, what I saw was a, a business opportunity where I thought the recruiters that I was working with and engaged with across the country were very low level. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have a peer at the end of the phone, and that was very frustrating to me. I just wanted some, someone as well that would shoot straight with me, like cut, cut to the chase, be open and honest, transparent with me, mm. not not dog and pony show it for me every time. So I thought with my independent experience and you know, my corporate experience that, that I could do a good job recruiting. And, and the, the story that I like to tell is that a lot of people ask me now that you know I, I am successful they'll ask me, you know, how do I get rich? You know, how do I get rich? That's like the question I get like all day long. And they see more of the finished product. Oh. But, uh, but for me, that's a very shallow, hollow endeavor. And for me, it was always just about following my passion. And uh, most successful people that I know never said, hey, I want to be rich. I, I personally don't know any. I'm sure there are a few out there. But they followed whatever idea, passion, you know, whatever. They just did it well. And then when you do that, success follows you. So for me, uh, you know, I... I did a good job recruiting. I, I uh, built, you know, I made, I was making about $100,000 a year at the time as a uh, regional director. And I made a little budget for my family at the time to, if I made $30,000 a year, I'd be really, really happy. So when people say, how do you get rich? I said, well, my plan was to make $70,000 less than I was making. <laughs> so that was my plan. And uh, so not necessarily the smartest plan, but I was able to do well. You know, I built, you know, over 300000 my first year, and a little bit more than that my second year, then I started to grow the company. Then along the way, I started to add other services to the company. I started to build my recruiting team down the eastern seaboard and slowly, mm-hmm. you know, across the country, where now we have 50 recruiters. You know, we do business in every state. We do them in eight different countries. Along the way, I started sort of leveraging our, our faith and trust that we've earned with our clients over time and, and move into other services to, to be more diversified and, and more, even more than that from a revenue stream standpoint, but more just expanding our relationships and having higher valued relationships within our, our clients rather than just sort of a one trick pony recruiting relationship. So yeah, uh, along the way there, you know, that's, that's sort of the way I started to grow it. And you know, now I started a mystery shop company and, yeah, we do about and you never stop. That's one thing I noticed about you. You're always evolving. You're always <laughs> finding the next opportunity. You build these yeah. systems of, of these these uh, services. You get them running, and then I don't know if you find a way to fill to duplicate yourself to fill your roles, and you have people running those systems, and you go out and you you do the same thing. Now you're doing it again with uh, college campuses. I noticed uh, just always trying to find a new way to implement the the tools you've learned, the skills you developed in new and creative ways. Um, would you say that's true? Yeah, I think that's a really smart observation, and I appreciate that, Eric. Uh, I think that one of the things that I've done well, I mean, believe me, I don't do a lot well, and <laughs> my, team, my team makes me look good. But one of the things that I've done really well is set up systems and, and infrastructure that allows us to scale, mm-hmm. and uh, that's fun. I like doing that, and I like solving problems, and I like creating, creating those uh, systems, for lack of a better term, but, but it's also not just sort of internal infrastructure. It's also culture, you know, buy-in, mm-hmm. stakeholders. Mm-hmm. It's all about, you know, pride and hiring the right team. You know, for me, I hire always to personality and uh, drive and much less to experience and all that sort of thing. And then I let my team, I let them, the horses out of the barn. You know what I mean? So I realized a long time ago to go from just myself and my 24 hours and my limited intelligence to, to grow my team, let them do their thing. And then it's, then you know, they're imparting their passion and they're imparting their career drive and ambition onto the company. And then you can really sort of skyrocket it. So 
you know, my team, uh, I always tell people if, if you, you know, whether it's in restaurants or I open some plan fitness gyms too, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing, or on the good and hospitality side, I always say, if you're going to, if I'm going to feed money to you, let's say, and I'm going to help you buy your restaurant or plan a fitness gym, or you're going to compete with, with me on the good and hospitality side, how, how are you going to beat me? Mm-hmm. I was like, what's your plan? And it's, it's, I like to say it's kind of impossible because my team is so passionate mm-hmm. yeah. and they believe they bleed our company. And that's always the difference. If you can get a hamburger anywhere, you can work out of whatever gym you want, whatever, whatever, you know, but I think it's always about the team. And so for me, I spend my time now developing, coaching, hopefully inspiring my team. Yeah. That's how how I've scaled it. And I just want to pull some nuggets out of this path that you took to get to where you are today. Things that really stood out to me in your story is this something that I've noticed with all my guests is, you know, I think so many people, they, they have this dream, this passion of opening a restaurant. They get a bunch of money or they find a way to get the money and they do it with no previous experience. But what you did, <laughs> yeah, what you went and you worked for the common man and I'm from New Hampshire. So I know that name. It's a well-established restaurant group in New Hampshire. Yep. And you got, you started by getting that experience. First, you grew up in the industry. Then you went to go work at the common man where it's just a great restaurant group where I'm sure you learned a ton, but then you took it a step yep. further and you went to work for a chain and there's so much, I mean, I, there's no secret that I am so heart heavy towards the independent side of the industry, but we can sure. learn a ton from right. the systems and processes and procedures that chains have established to be successful. If you implement exactly. those in your independent restaurant, I mean, it's like with that passion yeah. and that culture that independents have, I mean, it's like a, like a no, it's no, there's no competition. You can't beat uh, those systems com- combined with just incredible culture. Um, and then also, uh, what I love is in this experience that you got through the common man, through uh, working at Chili's, uh, you, you realize what your strengths were and you you really developed those strengths and you, you saw pain points in the industry, like recruiting and finding people and you, and you, you know, mm-hmm. you, you capitalize on those opportunities and we can do that in restaurants. Like where are your strengths in the restaurant industry? Where are there weaknesses in, in the market that you can capitalize on? Uh, and do they, they co-align with your strengths? Like there's so much to be learned from the story. Thank you. Yeah, well, I think uh, one of the things, one smart move I made was, you know, I'd only done independent, so I only had saw my father's world of independent restaurants. Then I only saw the Common Common Man, which was just growing at that time. But you know, like you said, there's I think there's 18 Common Man owned restaurants now. Uh, But I was a little bit a part of that growth. But after that, I wanted to really compete a little bit more on a national scale. Although I agree with you completely on the indie side of things, Mm -hmm. and that's you know my passion. And I think there's you know somewhat of an anti-chain culture out there a little bit for most people, uh, you know, the foodie, foodie types don't want to go to change. That's cool. And you know, whatever, it's fine. But for me, I wanted to learn how to, I wanted to learn the real business side of things mm. and, and the systems and things that I knew I, I wasn't that sharp on, that I wasn't really getting from the independent environment. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was very valuable. Uh, and I wanted to compete against 15 other general managers and then 35 other area directors and, you know, that mm. sort of thing. So, I wanted to up, up my game there, but it gave me a good balance. Absolutely. You know, cool. overall, good, good breadth of experience. So, I'm, you know, I don't go to Chili's now. I mean, I don't <laughs> eat there, which is fine. They're, they're, they're fine. But I, but I would never trade that experience. Oh, yeah. Level. Absolutely. So let me ask, what is your why at the core of it? Why do you work like you do? What is at the root of your passion in this industry? Great, great question. For me, it's about controlling my own outcomes at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. I've never done it for money. Uh, mm-hmm. I've always done it because I love to, first of all, you alluded to, like I, you mentioned that I always am continually doing new things and challenging myself. So that's really important to me that I have the ability to do that. I, I'm sort of like I never want to reach a, the top of the mountain kind of person. I love the journey up the mountain. 
and all the I mean all the sand you kick in your face and uh, the good, the bad, the ugly. I love all of that. But I love building teams and I love achieving things with that team. And that's sort of what gets me going. And for me, I uh, the, the core really is for me that I, at the end of the day, I realize it's my personality, and this isn't everyone's personality. It doesn't. It's more of an entrepreneurial life and an entrepreneurial lifestyle that mm-hmm. I like to bet on myself. I like to bet on my team, and I like to control my outcome. So I realized, you know, when I was working for Chili's, for example, I don't want to how deep you want to get here, but. I realized that I was really living or working for someone else oh. and living someone else's life rather than my own. <laughs> so I thought, well, I mean, I see a lot of really successful people that don't seem all that bright to me. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'm not that bright. Maybe I can do it too. So I just, there's never a perfect time, Eric, to make that jump or make that leap. You know, it's sort of like the, the maybe it's a cliche, but you know, you, you jump and then you build your wings on the way down. Kind of mm-hmm. thing. I always like that because it's never a perfect, I had two young kids, mortgage, you know, then I sort of walked away from it and, um, you know, had no money coming in until I generated a fee. So for me, I, I like that little turn in my stomach, that little burn in my stomach. Hey, this is on you. Let's create it. Let's mm. do this. Let's you know, be different and better. So I still love it. I mean, you mentioned, I, you know, we started campus feedback this year, which is you know, measuring the collegiate experience for students. And that's a whole new brand new startup for me with cool new technologies and, I just love it. It's just fun. And, you know, we're opening more friendly toast restaurants and, uh, and I got some other things going on. It's just fun. I, yeah, when, you, when you put in a hard work over time, you can get to a certain point of, you know, you're not necessarily proving, you know, proving yourself to the world so much. It gets to be, you know, a very, very fun experience. So for me, the core was controlling my, my own outcomes and not being beholden to anyone else, a bank, a, oh, a corporate entity. That, that's <laughs> and it's yeah, funny. That's pretty, that's your why that you just you shared with us is one of the biggest reasons why I'm such an advocate for the independent sectors because of the ability to uh, follow your own course. And I, I just feel like when you get into a chain, um, there's little room. I mean, there's room for growth, but it's not growth that's aligned with what your core values are, what you're, you as a human, you can't really express yourself. And that's why I feel like uh, there's just so much, you know, the, the struggle in the industry today seems to be with culture and getting people to tap into their higher needs and what makes them happy, what the purpose of the restaurant is. And it's really hard. Right. to like get on board with that kind of culture with the chain. And I feel like that's, I mean, would you agree with that? hundred percent. I mean, yeah. that's their challenge. I mean, the, the game out there now, the industry is short 1.8 million managers over the next decade. Eric, I don't know if you know that stat, Ugh. but uh, it's an important stat and that's getting worse by the way. Um, so it was 1.6 million managers when I started in 1999. And despite all the placements we've made, <laughs> we've lost ground. So it's 1.8 million uh, short. So, the larger companies really have had to look deep and sort of define how they, you know, uh, recruit, retain mm. uh, new managers. And, uh, and for some, I don't want to like totally, uh, you know, look down on the chain because for some, it makes a lot of sense for someone in their life, you know, and that's fine. I don't judge anybody for that. But so they do serve a particular purpose, but if someone at the end of the day wants to live sort of their life, and I mean that like in a, in a big, big, big term, you know, not just work term. You want to live your life and you want to control your outcomes and you don't want to just make money for someone else. Yeah. I, I, I think you got to do it on your own. I mean, you could be a CEO of Chili's. I mean, there's lots of money to be CEO of a bank. I mean, there's lots but of even money so, like, I feel like uh, there's just so many variables that come in with trying to please such a massive market of people. That yeah. just, there's just little, I don't know, freedom in there. But let's talk yeah. about your if factors, Eric. Let's talk about the, the habits, the traits, the characteristics that you think you have that most contribute to your success in the hospitality industry. 
Okay. Well, I can tell you what other people say. It's hard to talk about yourself. <laughs> there. But for me personally, like I mentioned, I'm very tenacious. I don't, I don't give up or quit. I'm, I'm definitely a risk taker. So if I'm not making mistakes, we talked about that a little bit. If we're not getting sand kicked in our face or whatever, then I feel like we're really not trying hard enough. So uh, I, I, I'll, I'll take risks all day long. Mm. I, that, that doesn't bother me in the least. But I think I feel like it's part of the equation, like sort of a baseball player. Like, they, <laughs> let they, me ask. Or, oh, sorry. Finish yeah. your finish your thought. No, I was going to say with like a baseball player. They, I mean, they ten at bats if they if they make seven outs and have three hits. That's a really really successful uh, person, and uh, they're the top of the world and mm. top of the earnings chart, failing seven out of ten times. But it, so for me, if I'm not making mistakes, then I'm worried we're not. Um, we're not trying hard enough. Yeah, so, and I was just about to ask, how many mistakes do you make? Like, what percentage of your ideas don't come to fruition? Yeah, I started a company uh, called DiversityHospitality.com and WomenInHospitality.com about, I don't know, it was 10 or years ago, eight-ish years ago, and uh, I thought it was a great, all of our clients were asking us, Eric, for diversity candidates based on a number I was just supposed to sort of connect to this a little bit, you know, yeah. the industry is short, where's it going? Uh and the industry realized, you know, is realizing that they need to, uh, you know, cast a wider net and be respectful of different religious, uh, you know, sexual orientation, uh, more women into the workplace, more minorities into the workplace, and all that sort of thing, which obviously, I mean, yeah. you know, super important. And then have built a culture within their organization that really celebrates all of that. So I wanted to be sort of a leader part of that kind of thing. And we were getting a lot of calls, Eric, from our clients saying, you know, very specifically, which is unusual, specifically, please, we need more women candidates or we need more diversity candidates, right? the case may be. So I thought it would be a bright idea and a good idea to have web, you know, uh, a resume website sort of job board where uh, diversity candidates could place their resumes on and then our clients could also promote themselves on there as sort of like a, say, a gold-level partner where they could go on there and say, you know, we espouse all of these virtues of diversity and this, this is how we do it, this is how we live it and breathe it. Mm-hmm. And then so it's sort of a meaning place for diversity candidates and clients who were desirous of, uh, you know, building their team with, with diversity candidates. So we sold uh, some great partnerships. We were doing well, but then sort of the economy took a dive. Yeah. And interesting how uh, the clients sort of pulled back from that, you know, like they were saying how important it was to them. But, I mean, I'm not, again, not judging their yeah. what, pressures but it was pretty quick how they sort of pulled out of that and that became less important uh, mm-hmm. so i've always wanted to sort of revisit that i still think it's a really good idea and yeah. uh, uh, and all that but you know we got our sand kicked on our face there a little bit so that and i i bought um you know the franchise rights to develop 14 planets fitness gems mm-hmm. out in arizona at the time i didn't have the wherewithal financial wherewithal to do it all myself it's a, you know, it's a very large uh, oh, yeah. you know, two million dollars each kind of thing so um so I had a partnership group, and my partnership group, uh, you know, I built a few gyms. I still have a minority stake in, in the Arizona clubs, but it's sort of a non-voting, yeah. for, you know, small stake. But my partnership group was wasn't they weren't in alignment with my business philosophy, and so instead of my being fifty-one percent or more calling all the shots, I, I was more of a mixed group. So because I had to, again, I was beholden to someone who owned more you know, stake in in, in, uh, in this than I did. I had to live by their, what I thought were poor business practices. They, yeah. grind, you know, they didn't want to be charitable to the community. They didn't want to pay the team well. They would grind their mother out for, you know, 10 cents kind of, kind of group, like to me, vicious, you know, yeah. money wise. 
So for me, it wasn't worth it. I didn't want to do it. I chose the There's a there's great lesson in that, Eric. I think that's one thing that has come up before in the show is that when you're opening a restaurant, I know you're talking in regards to the uh, Planet Fitness franchise, but in regards to opening a restaurant, I mean, you've got to have that skin in the game. You've got to have that majority vote uh, because if you become a victim to your investors, so all these people, you want to open a restaurant so bad, you take money from everywhere, and before you know it, you're just getting <laughs> you know pushed in all these different directions. There's a huge lesson in that to have at least 51% of whatever it is because this is going to take your heart, your soul, and if you can't yeah. make decisions with that, you're not going to be happy. Yeah, um, yeah or at least have the decision-making power. To yeah. Call Even if you may, not have, you may not have as much skin in the game, yeah. but... And the other thing is you got to be congruent. Congruence to me is a really important word in business. Yeah. I want, I want to congruent with my clients, my business team, you know, our philosophies, all that sort of thing. But if you're going to take on partners in, res- in a restaurant endeavor, like you say, because when you're young, I mean, you'll beg, borrow, and steal. You want it. You know what I mean? You sign sign a bad deal. I've done that. Um, yeah. All those kind of things. Just just because you want to do it so badly, you lose sight of the end game. Exactly. You, know, you can't see that. So you got to make sure that you're definitely congruent with your partners in terms of you know, whatever, you know, your style of place, you know, the number of expectations, what, what their role is, their voice, their accountability, all those sorts of things. So, yeah, it's a, you know, I, I can coach people all day. I mean, yeah. Uh, well, we can. I'm sure we're gonna have an opportunity to talk about that when I ask you about how to fund a restaurant. But as far as if factors, so far I have you're tenacious, you're a risk taker, uh, you're clearly a smart business person. As far as uh, just, I guess having that where in you know, that know with all to. Uh, just kind of, uh, I, I don't know, like know that you need to be able to make your own decisions. But what are some of the other if factors that you have? Yeah, I would definitely say I really believe in people, mm-hmm. like maybe more so than they believe in themselves and or have been believed in by their parents, let's say, or uh, a college professor or something along those lines. So to me, uh, that's that's a bet I'll take all day. And if I get disappointed along the way, which I do, um, that's great. But I really believe in my team. I'm extremely mm-hmm. loyal to them. And I let them do their thing, um, and I and I give them the room to be creative, and and more so the culture to allow them to make mistakes. And then when we do, it's cool. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like you know, don't be afraid to come with me with a really important piece of information that you screwed up. But, you know, that's that's the opposite of what I want. So, uh, create that kind of culture. I'm pretty you know pretty good at that, and I would say. Um, I think that we have a very transparent organization, so I'm brutally honest with people, mm-hmm. and they're brutally honest with me. And that's sort of a prerequisite um, for um, working, you know, in, in my organization or, or companies. And the integrity piece is critical to me. So, to me, if you don't have an integrity-based organization, you're short-term. You know, for us, we've been going at this for 17 years, I think, which is weird, but we still feel very much like a startup. Um, Lots of great new ideas all the time. We grow over twenty five percent a year every year. Yeah, so I think that's all. That's all based on if you're, if you're not taking care of your your team. I, my whole thing is, if I take care of my team, then everything else falls in place under that. Absolutely, profit, client relationships, everything. So uh, anyway, so if it's not integrity based, though, then I think you start burning bridges. Then I don't think you have the sustainability long term. So yeah. I would say sort of integrity based organization. I require that as because uh, I'll let go of someone who could be my most profitable biggest builder if i get a whiff of something like a lack of integrity they're gone that's, and that's just that's a big statement to the team yeah you know, absolutely i couldn't anyway, more, yeah. i mean so so far for it factors eric this is what i have tenacious risk-taking team building loyalty to just your team developing that trust within your team transparency integrity uh those are some awesome it factors to have are there anything else or is, is there anything else you want to share with us before we move on to your failure 
I would say high energy. I mean, for me, I might get I get criticized for this. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no I idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, so I I, uh, I have I bring energy to my team, and um, I think that's important as a leader. You know, to to know when. You know, you got to make sure the team is feeding off your energy. It's not false energy. You know, it's just that's just kind of just the way I am. I just I don't sleep a lot. And, yeah, that's a great like, point to bring up, Eric. Because I, you know, I, I'm right there with you. Like I, I've been told I have a lot of energy too. And I've actually <laughs> I, I always talk to my guests after the interview, and I ask them what can I do better. And I've had people tell me that I mean you got to tone it down a little bit. But yeah, I think yeah. and I really appreciate the transparency and the honesty people have with me. But sometimes I feel like well, thank you for that advice. But you know what? Either you're going to like it or you're not going to like it. And I think. He, for me, like, I don't want to tone it down, man. Like, this is, I love being high energy. I love it. And I feel like you're going to either resonate with those people out there and they're going to love you or they're not going to like you. But I don't want to change to make everybody happy. And I think that's something that you probably have going for you, too. Yeah, you got to say true to yourself. Well, Absolutely. I mean, well, I mean, I did when I was younger. I don't care <laughs> all of them. I mean, I do. I want them to think, oh, this cool guy is a good guy. You know, he's a good guy to work for. But I don't really waste any time on that. And you got to remember, Eric, that people, are going to always try to knock you down. And, and that's, you know, a piece of advice too, kind of thing is that no one thought my opening and recruiting business was a good idea. Nobody, not one person. Well, my <laughs> guess uh, what? You know, my mystery shop company, horrible idea. Everyone thought it was horrible. And then, you know, I go right down the line, buying the friendly toast, which are a huge mess, uh, horrible idea. So if I listen to any of that, you know, like, like your energy thing, I mean, I would, I'd still be at Chili's, you know, like yeah. being a manager, making 40,000 bucks a year. So these are some awesome if factors. I got to find out now. We kind of already brushed on one of your failures when you were talking about uh, opening uh, that uh, recruiting for uh, minorities and women. Uh, are there any other failures that we can just listen from and just take massive lessons away from that you know you encountered in your life? In my life or business life? or yeah, Any uh, failure. Anytime you just fell hard on your ass, Eric, tell us how you fell and yeah. tell us how you got back up. Yeah, okay. Um uh, that's a great question. For me, they were just earlier in life, prior to business. Uh, so not that I haven't made a lot of mistakes in business, but for me, it was the whole, in my family, it wasn't a, an expectation to go to college. My mm-hmm. expectations were pretty low, uh, meaning, uh, you know, just be a line cook really in your dad's restaurant. I was sort of like, that's what you're expected to do. <laughs> and uh, I like to tell this story that I never knew what the words SAT I didn't know what that was until the day before the SATs. My senior, this, this will sound so pathetic. So my girlfriend at the time, uh, who was the salutatorian of the class, so the second-ranked person in our class was smart. I don't know what she was doing with me. Way to go, but, dude. Uh, yeah, she said, uh, you're going to take your SATs? I'm like, oh, what is that? I don't know what that is. She's like, oh, geez. So she said, I'll pick you up tomorrow at whatever time, and, and this is you need to take this test to go to college. Do you want to go to college? Right? I'm like, yeah, I guess so. Definitely don't want to grow up, you know? So, um <laughs> So she picked me up, and, and, and uh, so that was not pretty. And um, in, in college, I would say that this would, I'll be, be you know very open here with you, and this is a personal thing, but um, my sister died. Uh, my oldest sister was five years old, and he died the night before my senior prom. And that was, you know, three months prior to going to college. Ugh. So, you know, it was very devastating to my family. Uh, and Very devastating. And... Uh, you know, I was going to college. That was hard on my family, and and uh, you know, my sister passed, and all those sort of things. So it was a big, big, you know, tumultuous time for us. But I went to college, and I didn't, like I said, I was not a very good student, um, and I, I wasn't excelling mm-hmm. and really putting my one hundred percent into it. Mm-hmm. But but I realized at some point, you know, when I was in college, that you know, I could sit around and sulk and 
you know, again, mm-hmm. and let other, other things dictate my life or, you know, am I going to go out there and, and, uh, stop, you know, feeling bad for myself and, and go out and, and get it and do it and, and uh, live my life. So I would say that was probably the, the biggest ass kicker I've ever had and sort of, you know, learning about who you want to be, you know, how you want to be and sort of defining yourself as a person and a business person. So I just had to get serious, stop being a knucklehead and, and, uh, so would you say, uh, I, I mean, okay. first of all, I'm so sorry to hear about that loss. I could only imagine. I love my sister. I can never imagine losing her at a young age. But would you say your failure was um, not moving on from that, letting yourself get stuck in that, yeah. that state of depression? Yeah. Well, I mean, yep. that's tough, man. I can't say I blame you, but I mean, this is a great lesson to take away from that. Like like you said, like you can either sulk in your, your you know, the negative, the bad things that will happen to you. And like that, that's life. Bad things will happen to you. But I think that's a great exactly. message is that you, yeah. you got to move on. I mean, yeah. things are going to get in the way you're, you're going to see hurdles in your life to whatever it is you're trying to accomplish. And just getting caught up on those hurdles aren't going to help you. I think that's an, yeah, like terrific. you said, yeah, like you said, very smart, you know, expect them. Mm-hmm. And I realize expect this stuff to happen in the future. Don't don't feel like oh wow it's a crappy day, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, let let bring on the four or five things that are gonna you know hit me today. Just do it. So and that and that becomes more fun than sort of a downer. But on the business side, I would say probably my, my biggest ass kicker was I don't want to be a Debbie Downer on the personal side, but mm-hmm. uh, on uh, on the business side, it was really that Planet Fitness deal that I went in as the majority. I had to change out my partners to the wrong partners that I was a minority. And I probably originally, and I've made the money back now, but that was several years ago, but I originally took about a hundred, just under $200,000 cash hit on that deal. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was not fun. I didn't like that. I didn't like sort of getting boxed out, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot there. Yeah. So with your experience, myself. with that experience, if you could do it over, what would you do differently? Never be less than 51% owner mm-hmm. and don't. Uh, I would make sure that I was didn't rely on others to set the culture or talent or that sort of thing. And I learned about myself that for better or worse, and I'm not saying I'm the best business person in the world, I'm definitely not, but it's got to be my way. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to have my name on it, and, you know, and I'm going to put my time and energy and effort into yeah. it. I've got I got called shots and I was just the way I wanted to be. You know, at, at the end of the day, there's why people in this world and there's how people in this world. And if you're a why person, uh, the good news is I feel like there's more how people than there are why people. Um, and you're definitely a why person. You, you like to solve problems. You like to, to create things for certain purposes, for certain reasons. And you surround mm-hmm. yourself with the how people. And I mean, if you're a why person, you've got to know it and you've got to stick with your guns. If you, if you need to hold right. the reins, you just got to recognize that about yourself and really right. control your life. Great stuff here. This has been an awesome yeah. first half of the interview, Eric. I'm pumped, dude. Um, yeah, cool. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. No ads today. Just a quick reminder that every Monday at 10 Eastern, you can join me in a past guest mentor for a discussion over coffee. Ask them any of the questions you want. Join the call. It's a video conference. You can join the call. Ask any of the questions you have. If you're opening a restaurant, what your concerns are, uh, advice, recommendations. This is your opportunity to connect with our mentors. This is truly a melting pot of mentors. And this is how we just lean on each other and support each other through our journey of opening a restaurant. So again, next Monday at 10 a.m. and every Monday after that going forward, hopefully. Uh, you can find the links in the show notes. This is episode 233. All right, so we're back. The first question I have for you, Eric, is what is your advice for getting that initial capital to get started? Okay, that's always by far the toughest mm-hmm. and, and <laughs> most complicated question. With 
with bank, traditional bank financing, you know, they frown upon uh, startup restaurants, certainly very, very difficult to get it from a traditional banking environment. Mm-hmm. Can be done. I mean, if anyone ever gets in that spot, I definitely have restaurant-friendly banks uh, who make it part of their portfolio and part of their you know, their overall sort of goal and mission. Okay. I'm happy to refer you to that, but it's difficult. But the most likely, are we talking, Eric, just so I know the parameters, like a one-off, one restaurant, like or buy a franchise? Or um, like a one-off. Say, I- I'm somebody who's passionate about the restaurant industry. It's been my dream to open a restaurant. I want to do it. What's your advice for me? Okay. I would first look at a turnkey operation, which means I, I would, if you're going to go into sort of a new development area, like say downtown Portsmouth or Port Walk or the new place in, in, in Bedford, New Hampshire, developing that, that, those from the ground build outs are really difficult. Mm-hmm. So on the, the good and bad news of it is a lot of restaurants fail. So there's a lot of good opportunity oh, out yeah. there, yep. but I would, I would really just, you know, turn over every rock and stone and look for a place that, uh, uh, fits your needs. And, and then that turnkey part of it, is essential and you can usually get a really really good deal so what's the uh, give us is this a, a, a turnkey operation you're talking about a restaurant that already exists maybe somebody opened yeah. this restaurant they got it going and they were looking for an exit strategy or they yeah. for a partner all of those okay. uh, i would say an exit strategy they left the business failed you want to put a new concept in whatever the case may be okay i would i would i would say less so take over an existing business and run it as an existing business, unless it's super crazy successful. But if that's the case, then you're probably not going to be able to afford it. So I would say look for a space that meets your needs. And remember, it might not be your last place. So um, again, it's hard to say without a particular concept in mind, but I would look for a place that has gone out of business or is going out of business or their lease is up and the the landlord or the bank wants another tenant, you know, different kind of tenant in there or whatever. But what I mean by turnkey is, I mean, you're not installing cancel systems and hood fans and you're not putting air conditioners on the roof. What's the benefit of that? Why is that so important if it's your first restaurant? Because you can have the greatest concept in the world and you can really do well, but if you have a bad deal going in, Mm -hmm. you're going to fail anyway, no Mm -hmm. matter what your sales are. So you want to keep your costs as low as possible. And remember the bank is going to charge you money Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, they have an expectation on that return. And usually, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, it's a pain in the neck to get a uh, restaurant loan. You have to invest hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours, which is fine. Uh, to get a bank, but traditional banks right now aren't set up because of uh, the way when the, when the banks failed, uh, they set up you know di- different laws which apply to even the very small banks. The same laws apply to the very large banks. So from a from a cumbersome standpoint, it's very difficult um, to go through that process. And you need you know proje- detailed projections. Yeah. Uh, you need yeah. Uh, you know, all your pro formas, and it's a lot of work to do, which is fine. Again, it's a great experience to do that. But the the the, the my main point here is that if you can go in easy, you know, and go in with a low, you know, get a place that's really inexpensive, you know, cut a great deal, ask for six months free rent or a year free rent, um, you know, and lease rather than buy your first building and then build your first business and go buy a building after that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's what I would, that's what I would advise to do. And then from a, uh, from a practical financing standpoint, you could get it. It's not out of the question. But you're better off to find a, a partner or partners who are willing to put in. And that, this is the key. You could go to someone. I'm not, I'm not asking for everyone to call me, of course. But you could <laughs> say like, a guy like myself or someone like me who doesn't have a ton of time to do it, doesn't really want, want to be there day to day to do it, but believes in the person, believes in the concept, can offer some good, you know, say life or, you know, business management advice and concept advice, but it doesn't want to do the 50 hours a week to do it. 
uh, if someone can put in, you know, then that person can help seed money. It beautiful. That's awesome. If you can do that, and then just you know, work out the terms that work for both parties. I think that's the way to do it. Most cases, what you see are are people going out to family and friends, which I would caution mm. against that. Uh, unless someone is, you know, the family member, or whatever is well endowed financially, and it's no big deal to put in a hundred thousand yeah. or two hundred, whatever. That's fine. But again, you start to cross lines of business and family, yeah. and I don't necessarily love that. So. That'd yeah. be my best. Awesome advice. Get, yeah, that's the way I would do it. Great stuff. So, I mean, I'm really excited for this question because this is kind of what you do. This is what you build an awesome business on is just the success of finding great people. So what's your advice on getting those great people, You know, hiring them, uh, maintaining them, and uh, just you know, developing them? Are you talking about hourly or management team or both? Uh, in general, just finding good people. Like, What's yeah. at the core of finding good people? Yeah, I think it's the very the number one most important thing. And I, and I tell my teams that if you're not working on your manpower planning seven days a week, 365, you're slowly sinking in quicksand. So my advice is to always be have more people than you need, mm. uh, meaning if like, you need four bartenders, you want really five or six. If you need 20 servers, you really want 23, you know, cooks, uh, that sort of thing. Same kind of strategy because it, when people start to work, uh, more than they want to work and you become reliant on them. You're giving up uh, your ownership of the company. Yeah. I don't mean, and these are, I don't mean this in an insulting way. I just mean suddenly you're beholden to the team and then you, then you can acquiesce on all that now and late. And they're going to start to resent you too. Exactly. Yeah. Then, then it turns to burnout negativity and mm. then it's just a horrible, you don't want to go down that road. So See, I think, I what, yeah, go, keep oh, going. Go sorry. I was just going to say, I, I think that, uh, People have a hard time, like they, they opening a restaurant, it's, it's their baby, it's their dream, it's their life. And I think they have a hard time wrapping their mind around knowing that this isn't everyone else's life. And uh, it's they're not going to want to put more than 30 hours in a week. And you can't expect yeah. them to do that. I mean, it's really on you to just, you know, like you said, get more people than you need so you can have that flexibility and, uh, you know, cater to everyone else. Because really, you, that's what you have to do. You have to be willing to be second uh, on the priority or third or fourth on the priority priority list to these people. I mean, right. Am I out of line That's to say that? Class- yeah, it's a classic restaurant dilemma, I think, because you have, you know, say servers, more so. More so, it's a transient position in their life. You mm-hmm. know, some some know, but, you know, so it fills a, a void or a role or a stepping stone or something. So so it's not as important to them, say, as it is to you. Mm-hmm. But that that's the delta or the difference between a great restaurant and those who, you know what I mean? So it, it has to become as important to them as it is to you. And that's really the challenge, even if, if they're doing it for extra Christmas so money or what's the best way, to, what's, what's the best way to do that? What's the best way to make your restaurant as important to you as to somebody else? It's the hiring process really. But, but when you do have that, it, it's all about showing appreciation for mm-hmm. them. You know, being a, having a great culture, being kind to your team, respectful, but you have high standards. So you can't always go around, just being sort of the militant, you know, owner, you know, dictator kind of person. I've been used, then when you really need them, they're not really there for you. So I always say a great leader looks behind them and they have a massive, like enthusiastic, smiling team, but a, a, not a leader who thinks they're a leader, but not a leader looks behind them and there's nobody there. And, and uh, that's when you know where you're at. So that's all about just your day-to-day relationships and how you engage with people and, and have fun. I mean, you want to have fun too at restaurants, oh, yeah. right? So it's not fun. So I think that's it. And then I think if you can build a standard, uh, like you said, replicating yourself. So if I'm able to replicate, uh, if not me personally with my skills, replicate a culture and a standard of operation like that will never fly with Eric, even though I haven't been there for two weeks. Uh, and then 
that's where, where you're, you've arrived, I think, in my opinion, because then a new person comes in who doesn't feel like, who doesn't hold that same standard, and then, then your team just kicks them out, just spits them out. They're like, this is not going to work if you're out. And they're sort of ostracized immediately, and you know, and someone tells you this person sucks, get them out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what happens. So it's all about this sort of that, creating that kind of culture of excellence, no matter what you do, whether it's five, five star dining or. What's the one thing we can do, Eric, to, to make sure we always have more people than we need? If there's just one action we can take just to constantly have the right amount of people, what, what, what is it? Yeah, you have, to, you have to find your sales, and then you have to go back and sort of work backwards that way. So then you need to know how many people you need. Then you need to just have a man. You have to have a, you know, by department, a, um, you know, this is, I need this amount of people for this amount of shifts. You've got to sort of do the math mm-hmm. and then just go up one or two all the time mm-hmm. and uh, realize you're not scrambling around. If you're scrambling, I always say success is paid in advance. Mm-hmm. So if you're scrambling around having a bad shift because you have to staff and people are pissy, why is that? I mean, how do we get here? Mm-hmm. So it goes back to one month or two months or three months prior. So uh, I would just say, you know, make sure you're always aggressive. You're looking for referrals. You're dropping a business card. You're asking your team and send your team to bring other great people. So I pay my team 250 bucks for their a great person. Awesome. Uh, and uh, that sort of thing. So, so provide incentives that, to, you know, to, to, yeah. to draw people in. And I'm hearing you just say, like, always be looking. Never stop. I think that's one thing people do. The, the big mistake they make is they just stop looking. They're like, oh, we have... We have sure. ten people. We yeah. needed ten people. I'm, you know, mission, com- you know, complete. And then, oh crap, two people left in one week. Now we're screwed. <laughs> exactly. Like, yeah. exactly. So let me yeah. ask, uh, what is one challenge that you see the industry having? Uh, something that really has your attention. Something that you're bracing for right now. Yeah, ironically, on the restaurant side, uh, it's uh, it's that there's a a strong lack of uh, management talent out there. People mm-hmm. are sort of exiting the industry causing a lot of problems, like I said, with that shortage number. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it's quality of life driven primarily. And, uh, you know, we've sort of altered our game a little bit where we'll have someone, you know, the industry standard for managers is 10, 10, 10, 5, 10 hour days, 50 hour weeks. And then that's if you're doing a good job and then could, you know, swing into more if that was the case. But I am personally, I require it two days off a week. I, I'll give a little more on vacation I'll have someone maybe maybe 45 hours a week that works for me, and I want to pay them well. I never lose anyone over money mm-hmm. uh, in Trident, um, that sort of thing. So, But ironically, what I was saying, that's really good for my recruiting business because we own that space. <laughs> and yeah. uh, not having you know a, in a candidate short market is really good for us. We can you know, we can charge what we want, essentially, for the good talent. So mm-hmm. it's, what, you know, it's, it's kind of that, that, that thing for us. But certainly it's all about, the management talent and that's what every every restaurant owner or ceo or whatever will tell you that's that's not looking awesome so how do you balance all these things you got going on was it four businesses or one two three four five businesses uh and you have a, a wife kids how do you balance it all yeah i have i've uh, started a commercial real estate business for restaurants too so we're actually selling restaurants now putting you know, deals together there so that's cool but um again it's all about the team uh, and I, people ask me this all the time, uh, but I actually have a really good balance in life. I get to the gym every day, and uh, I focus my life. I mean, originally, I started the business because I wanted to be a great dad. Mm-hmm. So I have amazing relationships with my kids, and um, I've been married 28 years. So my wife looks at me like I'm some sort of weirdo, and uh, you know, doesn't get doesn't get it. But that's fine. So we we work around that <laughs> fine. But at the end of the day. Uh, for me, it's all about the team. So mm. again, I spend all of my time developing my leadership team, making sure my companies have the right infrastructure, the right team culture, 
compensation plans, you know, all those sorts of things. So what do you mean by infrastructure? Give me an example. Give me some nouns when you say infrastructure. Infrastructure, business office team, um, internships. Um, we have enough client service managers to take care of our mystery shop clients. Mm-hmm. They're just well-staffed. A lot mm-hmm. of I've learned. I mean, I've had the learning lesson of sort of being behind my, because our sales are always so good that I was caught behind for a few years in terms of infrastructure. So, uh, you know, and tools, resources, technology, that sort of thing. So I, I can't ask my team to be the absolute best. And that's our goal, by the way. And I always tell people, if we're not going to be the absolute best, then I want you, I'm begging you to go to my competitor. I want you to. Yeah. So, I want so, but I can't ask all that I ask of them if I don't give them, if I don't pay them well, if I don't appreciate them well, if I don't have, um, you know, great benefits and, and uh, you know, time off things and, 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 and the best technology or resources. I can't, that's duplicitous of me to, to do that. So I'm always trying to make sure that they are, I ask all the questions, all, you know, well, I mean, we, we they review me, uh, they review our leadership team, they, I'm always surveying, they have a survey company too. So we're always out there asking the questions to make sure that their targets are being hit. And for me, Eric, it's, you have to hit both the emotional target mm. and financial target or paycheck, emotional paycheck and the financial paycheck. I mean, I would, put, I would put the emotional paycheck ahead of the, the you know, financial paycheck personally because, I yeah. mean, at, at the end of the day, you can only pay somebody so much in this industry and it's not going to be so much more than your competitor. But what's really going to matter is how that person feels when they go to work. If you're, if their core values are aligned with your core values, with the purpose of whatever your, your, your mission of your restaurant is, like that's what's going to attract the great people. Uh, and like you said, just giving them the tools and the support to be able to do their job the best they can do it. And I hear that coming from you uh, with your infrastructure yeah. and all that. Um, yeah, you hit that right on. And interestingly, we, I mean, we do have, we do do exit interviews for lots mm-hmm. of clients across the country and we kind of find out reasons for leaving and, and financial is usually the third. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. And, and people will throw money at the problem, you know, and that's yeah. not really the problem. And if I have to, you know, you can, you can have a long-term person stay with you because they're hitting that emotional target. The money becomes less, becomes less and less important. Not that you don't want to pay them, but they're not going to jump around. If you want some of the jumper to make another hundred bucks or 2000 bucks for the year, it's not really a person at the end of the day. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Um, so, I mean, I could tell you're uh, like, y- you must be well read. You have some great business philosophies. Uh, to have all this this knowledge. What's one resource, one book that's a, a must read uh, that will make us all better if we go out today and just pick it up? Yeah, I love Good to Great. Ooh. I thought that's a great, great book. I think that's a challenge. That amazing. We, yeah, a lot of companies are good, but how do you go from great? And for us, it was being sort of Eric's one man show a little bit for a while yeah. and we were pretty good and all that, but how do we like go to great? And, uh, I love that book that just resonated with me. And I will say I read, I, I like to read uh, all different kinds. So I like to read, uh, I don't know, business week and, you know, those, uh, and yeah. Forbes and things like that. Just, uh, Cause you're always seeing good ideas that are not necessarily in your business, but like, ah, like, why don't we do that? Oh, yeah. That. So, sure, and the, uh, you know, like the one thing the restaurant industry is notorious for is being behind the curve. So if you're paying attention to other markets and adopting what they're doing in their industries, you're going to be two, three years ahead of your competitors because they're exactly. always late to pick up on that stuff. Um, but exactly. one lesson, though, from Good to Great, an amazing book uh, that really just resonated with you. It was like the biggest takeaway from that book. I think it was the part about uh, the team, you know, it, it less focus on your service. And, and I see this now, I don't know how old that book is, how long ago you know, I read it, but, mm-hmm. but my takeaway from that was based on, you know, you can produce food, you can fabricate food in my business, or we can generate resumes, you know, on the recruiting side or mystery shop reports or whatever the case may be. That, 
that's very one dimensional. Mm-hmm. So, but it's all about the people behind it and people focus a lot on, and you should have a great service, but again, it's all about, it's all about your team and the mm-hmm. people. And if you have great people, then it makes your life so much easier. And that's why my life is great because I have great people. I don't know if it was in that book, uh, Good to Great, or Built, or what is it, Good to Great, and he's got another one, um, it's, it's escaping me, but is that where he talks about getting everybody on your bus and having the right people on the, you know, in the right seat on your bus and all that, getting people in the right lane? Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's in that book. You're right. I'm not sure if it's that or the Seven Traits uh, book, but I, I uh, yeah, I mean, it's so much, you know, it's, it's it took me two years to get the friendly toast. Oh, it, was, uh, it was built to last. That's what the other one was. Sorry. Built to last. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Uh, it took me two years to get friendly toast culture where I wanted it. It's not an easy thing to do. Mm. If you're inheriting one, it was easier for me at Goodwin Hospitality because I started it. And, you know, it was always mine. <laughs> people don't know much about the friendly toast all over the country. And I know enough about what it used to be, um, you know, nine years ago uh, when I would go there. And it was kind of had a reputation of being kind of like, a hippie joint and like uh not really 30, the most 30, yeah. yeah and you yeah. took that hat yeah. on man, and you turned it around to you know i think it was the work you did with the friendly toast that got you the recognition for the best restaurant tour 2014 am i correct or i mean yeah i, don't exactly. yeah, I guess yeah I, I feel like it must have been a bad candidate year that year but i feel like we uh, <laughs> we uh i wanted that challenge I, actually i was looking for a place that was messed up but was in sort of good locations and had a little bit of a cool it had vibe a to great it. great brand i mean as far as like yeah. it was a it was a staple in the industry i mean you could go there at two o'clock in the morning or one right. o'clock at least right. and get some great garlic mashed potatoes uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, exactly. we gotta move on sorry we're almost at an hour yeah. already uh so let's talk about technology now um i mean i'm a huge advocate for anything that will you know through becoming more efficient can increase the time you have in your day to, to do what matters or just increase profits like what's one technology a system that you can implement into your restaurant that you think is uh definitely worth taking a look at for our listeners yeah i agree T- time is my currency yeah so that's what like exactly. about, right so for me i have uh we use aloha computer systems okay. uh, and uh you have the ability they have a, a i forget what they call it pulse or something where it's an app you go in and i can check I have all access to yeah. all the information and data. So I can open up any check. I can see what our labor is, our sales are, you know, that sort of thing. So I love that. And my company does this, but of course I use it, but we do a lot of, um, we do a lot of, um, um, QR code stuff. So if someone's in the bathroom, the bathroom is dirty and I can get like, you can red flag the QR code. Like if a certain question is not answered properly, I can get like a text. And uh, so for me, I can say, hey, what's going on? Why is it happening? There you go. I might be on the beach in St. John. So uh, that's cool. Wait, uh, so explain it to you. So a guest will be in the bathroom and they can scan a QR code and you'll get an alert in wherever you are. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yep. What's yep. the name of that service? Well, we do it through us. So just use line up. It's a survey service. So you, you uh, take scan the QR code. You have maybe, and I know this is not a mystery shop. This is just like five questions. Like, so you know, is this through Goodwin through- Hospitality? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. And other companies do it, so I'm not here to promote that. But uh, yeah, that, we do that, and then you can wait those. And if one of those, if someone checks like the bathrooms are dirty, I can get a text. Yeah. I mean, I may choose to do that or not, but it could be like, my food was great. You know, I'll see that later. But I don't need to know that right that second. Yeah. Okay, so you're using Aloha NCR Pulse, and you have these QR codes that allow you to get alerted if things aren't up to par. So, anything else that's worth mentioning? Uh, from a technology standpoint, I would say, well, we're moving to the wristlets a little bit, which I like for outdoor dining. We have outdoor dining and our Cambridge friendly toast and our new back bay friendly toast. Okay. 
So uh, I love the new wristlet orders where you can uh, I place the order right at the table and it goes right in faster. And that's through have- Aloha? Yes. Awesome. Yep. Cool. Awesome. I'll have all those links in the show notes. And before I move on, actually, what is uh, the significance of the biggest impact of being able to place the order at the table side? Just speed. It reduces the clutter, mm-hmm. you know, at the at the traditional stations. And then, you know, we, we run two, you know, I don't scare anybody. We run like two, two and a half hour waits on the weekend. Mm. So that, you know, if you take, you know, save two or three or four or five minutes every table well, from a minute standpoint, that really, really adds up. Are you using any technology to manage that weight? Yeah, so we have a, uh, something called a no weight app. Ooh, you should probably look into that. It's I really love cool that stuff. service. Yes, please dive right, into yeah. that. Yeah, so you're familiar with it. So I won't. I'm not familiar with it, but my listeners not, might not be. So I'll let you kind of explain how that works. Okay, so no no weight is just an app where we have it both on our Family Coast app. I hope everyone takes a look at, at our own uh, our own app, download that. But you can either access it through no weight or through our app, but. No wait is uh, you can just get on the wait list, so to speak, before you you know leave your house, or and it, and it shows you where you are in line and, and how much more time you have, and you can go shop, you can go do yes. whatever, send you a text, that kind of thing. And so you guys have seen it out in different forms, but it's a great service. I mean, if somebody wants to come to your restaurant, they don't have to go. And correct me if I'm wrong, they don't have to go to your restaurant first. They can get in line at their house if they want to, right? Exactly. That's what you so, want. Yeah, well, particularly, yeah. Yeah, great. It's great. huge. Yeah. And people can see, they can go on like, okay, there's a two hour wait. Um, let's just get in line now. Five people. They can go make the most of their time. It's not just, I mean, you're going to have people think about how many people you turn away exactly. that, exactly. that if they just knew how long the wait is, if they could plan around the wait. Exactly. I, it's I such an impactful tool. Uh, that's a one great resource. That's not mentioned enough on the show. Thanks for bringing it up. So yeah, it's not, it's not, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Eric. No, I was going to ask the next question. If you want to add on go for it. I was going to say at the toast, we run long lines, and I was continually hearing about, you know, I want to go, but you, know, you guys two hours away, I'm not going to wait two hours away. So for us, it was a very important decision. I think it's best, good for the freaking economy too. Like people are going to spend now two hours going around spending money yeah. at other shops, and yeah. you're like, it's good for everyone. Man. It's a great awesome. resource. But uh, if with all the knowledge you have now, Eric, if you could go back in time. Uh, say it's when you're, I don't know, just starting Goodwin Hospitality, your first business. Uh, if you could give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? Not try to wear too many hats. You know, I think I probably stunted our growth for a long time. You know, I was selling deals, growing, training, mm-hmm. billing, doing, doing like creating invoices, bookkeeping, uh, marketing, sending out letters. I was, I was like, when I realized I had something pretty good going, I should have, you know, uh, brought another folks to help me along the way but yeah. again it's, it's when you're an entrepreneur and that's your style i think uh extracting yourself from business is a, is a real challenge uh so i would do it with them that quicker i think yeah absolutely and i think um i mean the way i look at this is it's like it's impact versus reach and if you have an opportunity to have huge impact i think impact has a way more um just I don't know, significance than reach does. And it's great to have multiple channels of revenue in your life. But if you have right. one, you know, show pony, that's like really doing it for you. Like that's where you need right. to focus. And that's what it sounds like yep. you, you did and you're successful because yep. of it. So great advice. Yep. Um, is there one question, Eric, I could have asked you that would have added more value to this interview? That's a great question. You're closing me on that. No, I think you're, <laughs> I was very impressed with your, uh, the questions. They were deep and, and, um, smart Thank and, you. 
I don't think you left anything on the table. It was very, very, really good. Very intelligent <laughs> set of questions. I like that. I live for that because I get a lot of boring questions. Well, it's, it's not every day I get called intelligent, so I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we're going to wrap it up. We wrap up every episode with you or my guest just calling somebody out. Who's one independent restaurant operator? Somebody that you admire in this industry and you think would just be a great guest mentor on the show like you were for us today. That's a great, great question. Um, if you wanted to go very centric, uh, you could go Alex Ray, the owner of the Common Man's. Uh, or if you wanted to go to a person I have a lot of respect for who has two units, uh, his name is Brian Shea. He was the restaurateur of the year after me. I had to bequeath my crown to him reluctantly. But uh, he owns the Barley House in Concord and the Barley House in Hampton, Northampton. Mm-hmm. And is a cool guy, good guy. He's a food, food guy uh, and beer guy. So he could offer some cool insights on craft beers and making beers and food fabrication. I think he's a would be a good person. He was a great person. I can't remember what episode. Oh, you already had him? Yeah, he was awesome, but I have not had Alex on the show. You were saying great things about Brian, so I didn't want to interrupt you. I figured he had that opportunity to Oh, sorry about that. Show. Yeah, no, I'm you're glad. good. I will, I will do everything I can to get Alex on the show. Uh, if you can make that happen, if you can help me make that happen, that would be great. Uh, let, the, sure. let the folks at home know how they can connect with you, uh, whether it just be for you know to dive into some of the things we talked about more, to you know keep the conversation going. Maybe they want to come work for you to learn the industry. Maybe they're in the New Hampshire, New England area, or maybe they're really interested in the services you provide. And I'll give you an opportunity now to kind of explain more about what you do with Goodwin Hospitality. Well, uh, Goodwin Hospitality is a, we have several services. So it's, it's recruiting. Uh, we do you know, lots of, lots of deals there. We do mystery shop surveys uh, for our clients. So the mobile surveys, you know, the, uh, guest surveys, surveys um, of their employees, of their team, exit interviews, all sorts of things. So we gather, Lots of information for our team and collate that, present it very professionally for the, for the, our clients to look at trends and where they can you know improve their business. So uh, and um, so that's what that friendly toast says. I think everyone pretty much knows that Brazo is a cool place and and Forsman uh, and CampusFeedback dot com is uh, uh, similar in the same lane as Mystery Shopping, but we're really measuring the experiences of the tour, the food and beverage, and other aspects of college life a lot of decisions are made on that tour so we're measuring that experience to make sure it's top notch and uh to reach me we have linkedin or my email is dgoodwin at goodwinhospitality.com probably the best places to reach me awesome i will have all those links in the show notes uh links to all the products books and like just a, a recap of today's discussion in the show notes so head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 233 uh, you'll find all the links right there. And I just I just did a quick Google search. Brian Shea was episode 53, if you guys are interested in checking out that episode. Uh, Eric Goodwin, thank you so much for taking the time out of your extremely busy schedule. We went back and forth a few times to make this interview work. We finally got it done. I'm pumped that we did. You were awesome. There's no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate your flexibility, too. And good luck to everybody out there. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs> There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys enjoyed it. So a couple of things before I let you go. I'm now offering free one-on-one 15-minute chats. If you want to get inspired, if you need to get just a little motivation, or if you have some questions about 
some of the things we talked about on the show, you can now chat with me for free. 15 minutes. Head over to Restaurant Unstoppable to find the links. Don't forget that we have a complete list of all the books and resources our past guests have recommended. These are the books they read, the resources and tools they're using in their restaurant, the tools that are helping them be successful. A whole list archived right there at restaurantunstoppable.com. Don't forget to use my links if you really want to give back to the show. If you want to show your appreciation for all these episodes I'm putting out, the best way to support the show is to simply use my links when you discover something new that can help you in your restaurant. Thank you in advance. Also, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. And I can't finish without reminding you to keep those emails coming. I love your emails. They fire me up. They keep me going. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me what you love about the show. Tell me anything. I'm here for you. Just shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. All right, that's all we have for today. I hope you're enjoying this journey as much as I am. Thanks again for joining me. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.